Good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2. We will be reading uh, verses 39 to uh, 52, uh, 39 to 52 of Luke chapter 2. Here's the word of the Lord. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to the town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposed to be in the group when they went a day's journey. And they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. God's holy, inspired, infallible word. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we we ask the question, what in the world can we learn from a 12-year-old? This 12-year-old boy taught us something taught us significant things, Father. Perhaps we don't see it now. I pray by the end of this message, we will. I pray that we would see that this 12-year-old boy was truly God and truly man. He was speaking to his parents. He was speaking to the religious leaders of the time, and he was speaking to us 2,000 years later. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for that word that Jesus just ate up and wanted to learn more of. So as we read your word today, as we speak from your word today, I pray that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit to understand your word and to become like your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as as you look at this, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't know if you've ever lost a child before. Um, I I have, sad to say, Um, I've got three of them, and uh, we have been at a park one time, and all of a sudden, one of my children was gone, and I am searching around this park trying to find them, and I can't tell you how much insecurity that was there in my heart. Where in the world could they be? And you're looking in this myriad, in this crowd, and you're trying to search for this child, 
and you can't find them, and you find yourself very overwhelmed, very frustrated. The anxiety is heavy um, upon you. Perhaps you've felt that way before. And then you find the child, and it's the relief that you have the child again, but then it's like the frustration. Why did you go? Why did you leave us? I want you to think about Mary and Joseph and, and the pain that they must have been going through. I want you to think about this as well that this passage of scripture is really significant because the last thing we see in Luke is that the child is being held by Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph are fulfilling the purification rites. But now there's been a 12-year gap. As you go from verse 39 to verse 40, there has been a 12-year gap here. Jesus Christ has gone from this little baby that they're holding in his arm in their arms to this 12, little 12-year-old, and actually not little 12-year-old, because in this culture, you may be familiar with this, in the Jewish culture, a 12-year-old is one year from becoming a man. We have the thing today, we call it a bar mitzvah, a son of the law. They become under the rights of the law. They are supposed to be fulfilling the law. So, so this time going to Jerusalem was going to be a very special time. The family would go every single year to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. But it was at this time, a special time, that this 12-year-old is now going to hear the story again of the Passover, and now he is going to have to bring this about in his life that he is going to be a man next year. This is a pivotal year in this young man's life. So that 12 years old, they're going to Jerusalem. I want you to think about this, that this is um, the only inspired, biblically recorded incident of the youthful years of Christ. Now, G uh, Luke does not talk about the Magi that came sometime after the birth of Christ and sometime probably after the purification. We have the Magi that come. The Herod is going to kill all the babies trying to kill Jesus. That is not mentioned here in Luke. But this is the first biblically recorded event of the youthful years of Christ. Why did Luke pick this event to record? It's also the very first time we hear the words of Christ recorded. And I'm sure he spoke tons of words from zero to 12 years old, but this is the first biblically recorded word of the Lord Jesus Christ, so it should be very significant. First time we see him in the youthful years, first time his words are recorded. It's also the last time we're going to see Joseph in the biblical text. Joseph is going to be here with Mary and Joseph Mary and Joseph are going to be here with Jesus, and now up to 12 years old, Joseph is going to be talked about, but by the time Jesus enters his earthly ministry, Joseph is not mentioned again. Commentators believe that in all likelihood, between the time that he was 12 years old and the time he was 30 years old, Joseph passed away. So this is significant. I want you to also see the significance of this. There is a tension in this text. I don't know if you caught it. The tension in this text is... Jesus Christ seemed, from his parents' viewpoint, to do something wrong. And we've got a dilemma here, because if Jesus Christ, at 12 years old, has done something wrong, we might as well not be worshiping here this morning. Because if we do not have a sinless Savior, if we do not have a perfect Savior, we do not have a salvation. So clearly, as we look at this text of Scripture, Jesus Christ did not do something wrong. 
So it's the first time we hear Jesus speaking. It's the first time that we see of his life as a youth. It's the first, last time we see Joseph, and it is a time that Jesus seems to have done something wrong from Mary's viewpoint, from the biblical viewpoint did not. So I want you to consider there's a bookend, and I want to talk about the bookends before I get to five principles that I think Jesus teaches us. So let's look at the bookends first, and verses 39 and 40 is the first part of this bookend, and it says this, and when they had performed everything according to the law, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and Jesus grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and favor of God was upon him. Now the first thing we find out about uh, Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary is the fact that they performed all of the things that were required. They were given this baby, and they were given this baby, this is the son of God, and what they decided to do was to follow the word of God in the raising of this child. They performed everything that they needed to do. We, we saw earlier in the chapter in, in Luke that they had him circumcised at eight days. We saw the purification rite at 40 days. They have brought him to the temple to present him. Now they're going every year, making this trek, almost a 70-mile trek, from Nazareth to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They knew that they wanted to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We should be doing the same. So they performed all of the duties that God required for these parents to raise a godly man. They returned to Nazareth. They spent time in Nazareth, and Joseph was a carpenter. And Jesus was learning through Joseph in his carpentry work. And we see this fourfold description of Jesus' growth in verse 40. Did you see it? It said he grew, he became strong, he was filled with wisdom, and he grew in favor of God. Jesus was now a 12-year-old. He's growing in wisdom. Look with me at the other part of the book end, verse 52. In verse 52, it says this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and with favor in God and man. So let's start with the first one of that, growing in wisdom. Jesus grew intellectually. Jesus had a human mind within this human body. Jesus was fully human in the fact that he reasoned like us. He reasoned, he had will, he had emotions. This one commentator said it this way, Jesus had a human mind subject to the same laws of perception, memory, logic, and development as our own. He observed, he learned, he remembered, and he applied. This would have been impossible had he been born with possession of a complete body of wisdom and knowledge. Instead, he was born with the mental equipment of a normal child. He experienced the usual stimuli and went through the ordinary processes of intellectual development. See, there is this, there is this heresy that was there that believed that Jesus Christ was a human being but had the mind of God. He was omniscient. He could believe, have everything. And they failed to recognize that Jesus Christ, being fully human, had a human mind. He learned. He observed. He heard. He memorized, just like you and I need to do. The only difference between him and us is the fact that he was sinless. Depravity did not hinder him. He never became lazy, as one commentator said. He was never tired. He wanted to learn as much as he could. He was not omniscient in his human nature, 
But he wanted to learn so much. He sat at the feet of people to hear the word of God and to be taught by God. That should be our passion. If that was the Lord Jesus Christ's passion, that should be ours as well. He grew in wisdom. The second thing I want you to know is not only did he grow in wisdom, but he grew in stature. Just like all other children, he was a little baby. He went through all the normal processes of human development. There was this heresy as well. The first one was Apollinarianism that believed that God had a human, uh, that Jesus Christ had a God's mind of omniscience within a human body. The second um, heresy was called Docetism. And Docetism believed that Jesus Christ only appeared to be human. That he did not have flesh and blood like you and I do. They believed that within your body... That's where sin resided. So the docetists believed that Jesus Christ only appeared to be human. He seemed like he was human. But the problem is, is if the docetists were right, if Jesus Christ did not have a really human body, then what died on the cross for us? What rose again from the tomb? And what is the hope that we have? You know, Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were created sinless. They had a human body. And we're also going to have a resurrected body if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. So it's not the body that's sinful. So Jesus Christ grew in stature. Jesus Christ grew in wisdom. And Jesus Christ grew in favor with humanity. You know, if you have a right relationship with God, that leads to right relationships with others. If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, God wants to love other people through you. The reality is that when we fail to love other people, it's usually because we have not gotten the vertical relationship right. Jesus Christ was a lover. He was a lover in the fact that he encouraged other people. He was a lover in the fact that he lived at peace with other people. He bared the love of other people. He served other people. He offered hospitality to other people. He did good to other people. And over and over again, all of the one another passages that we have in the New Testament, Jesus Christ lived. And he grew in favor that people around him just said, wow. I think, in fact, Mary and Joseph were so caught off guard by what Jesus done because he was such a perfect child. He was always where they expected him to be. He always did what they expected to do because he was right. He grew in favor, not only with humanity, but he grew in favor, believe it or not, with God. Can you imagine that the eternal Son of God grew in favor with God? Why? Because the human Jesus Christ was obedient from the womb. Day after day, when I am not obedient, Jesus Christ was. He was sitting in his services, listening to God's word. He was eating up God's word. And step by step, where we are sinful, Christ was perfect. And he grew in favor with God. And God could say, you remember at his baptism, he could say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well, what? Pleased. And the fact that I can stand in the righteousness of God today, and so can you, is because Jesus Christ pleased his Father. So he grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God and humanity. I want you to consider five things that I believe that I learned from this section. Five things 
that I hope you take at the end of this year and as we go into this new year, that I see that Jesus taught us about how we could live in a way that honor and pleases God. And the first thing I see is this. Jesus is to be found walking in the way of God. He had a routine manner of life. His mother and father performed all of the things that were required of the, in the scriptures, and Jesus Christ was found exactly with them. He was walking in the way of that. He had a daily routine in his life. I believe he had a daily routine of being in prayer and in the word because that's what the Bible commands. He had a, he had a routine of being in the worship service, to be there at the temple, to be there in the worship of his, of his savior, of his, of his God, of his father. He had a routine of being with other believers. This was just a normal routine of his life. Jesus Christ walked day after day in a manner that was like his father. I think that's why it caught Mary and Joseph by surprise. He wasn't where he was supposed to be, at least from their viewpoint. He was walking in a manner. This is the second thing I think I see. Not only was he walking in a way of God, a routine faithfulness, but the second thing I see is that he was to be found with the people of God. He was to be found with the people of God. Now, what had happened is this. There would be a caravan. I told you it's about a 70-mile trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem, and there would be a, a large group of people. All of the people from Nazareth would gather together and the surrounding towns, and we would travel because of safety reasons. We would travel together to go to Jerusalem to go to the Feast of Passover. Great. So as they're traveling, you would be gathering new people. As we're going to the next town, another family would be gathering. And it would be like this family of all these families gathering together. And you know what they were doing? As they were walking to Jerusalem and preparing to go to the Feast of Passover, they were praising God. They were singing. They were singing the Psalms. They were praying with one another. They were fellowshipping with one another. They had a community of believers together today. See, we can infer that Jesus Christ and Mary and Joseph were in this vibrant spiritual community. And in this vibrant spiritual community, they had fellowship, they had a family, they had friends, they had spent time in the word, they had spent time in prayer, and Jesus loved it. It's probably so exciting for him. Every year, we get to go and spend time with God's people. I wonder if that's your passion today. So the first thing I find is that Jesus was walking in the way of God. Second, I find that Jesus was to be found with God's people. The third thing I find is that Jesus is to be found in the worship of God, in the worship of God. See, worship is all areas of life. Worship is not just the music that we sing in the morning. Worship is not just the prayers that are offered. Worship is not just the preaching of the word. Worship is not just giving. Worship is every area of our lives. And Jesus Christ was to be found in worshiping God in every area of, our li of his life. But there was a special time of worship that when you would come into the community of the body of believers, that was special. The Psalms say this. Can I read a several Psalms? I, I've been eating up the Psalms lately. In Psalm 48, 9, it says, We have thoughts on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple in his house. In Psalm 55, 14, it says, We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house, and we walked in the throngs that they were going into God's house hearing it. 
In Psalm 65, 4, it says, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts, in your presence. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. Or how about this one in Psalm 73? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you're the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put to an end everyone who is not faithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of your works. Or how about this one in Psalm 138 too? It says, I bow down to your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. That when we come together in a community of believers, we get to fellowship with one another. We get to hear God's word, sing God's praises, pray to him, and relate with him. The sad reality is that some of you come to church. I got one finger out, three fingers point back. Some of you come to church just because I have to. My, my, my wife or my husband made me come or my kids made me come. My parents made me come. And Jesus, that was never his, his passion was, I want to be in the worship of you, God. I want to be in the temple. I want to be with God's people. I want to be here. It's his place. Is that your passion here this morning? I pray that this beautiful new building that God has given us will be an opportunity for times of worship. As we're getting together as elders, we're talking about ways that we could use this building for times of prayer and times of counsel and times of encouragement and times of teaching and times of growth and times of service. We want to be able to use this building for the glory and honor of God. I'm praying that when you come to this building, it is coming to the place where I can learn about you, God. Be trained by you and taught by you and use my gifts to bless you and to show mercy to others. Do you have a passion for the presence of God in your life? Do you just long for his presence? The psalmist said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever and ever. Well, Jesus was found in the way of God. Jesus was found following the word of God. Jesus was found with the people of God. Jesus was also found in the word of God. He's found reading the word, studying the word, even teaching the word. We see in verse 46, after three days. So now what has happened is um, as this caravan, I was talking about this caravan, it takes several days to get from Jerusalem back to Nazareth. So the caravan starts out. And the way they would work the caravan is this, that the women and the children would go first because they would tend to be a little bit slower as the kids would be slower, and the men would hang back, and they would come a little bit late, later. Now, Mary would have been with the women and the children ahead, and Joseph would have been lagging behind. Now, Joseph looks around and says, where's Jesus? He assumes Jesus is where? With Mary and the children. And Mary looks over here and says, where's Jesus? 
she assumes, well, it's his 12th year. He is probably with Joseph and the men. And they go for almost a day. And what would happen is that they would leave at separate times, but at night, they would all gather together. The women and the men and the children would all gather together to worship with one another, to have safety, tent for that night, and then move on the next day because it wasn't safe to travel at night. So it was at that time when they got there at night, they realized, well, where's Jesus? Now, you can't travel back at night, so now what happens is day one out, overnight, day two back, Mary and Joseph go back to Jerusalem, and then at least a day wandering Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people are probably here, and I'm trying to find one boy. Where is he? The panic You know, when I lost my child for a couple of minutes, it seemed like hours. I can't imagine hours and now days. Where is my son? And it's not just my son. It's the son of God. I've lost the son of God. How do you lose the son of God? (laughs) Oh, man. And they go to the temple, finally, and they see Jesus. And he's sitting there among the teachers, and he's listening to them and asking them questions. Now, some people believe that Jesus is teaching the teachers at the time. I I don't believe that because he's growing in wisdom and stature. I think he is an inquisitive young man. I think he knows the word, and he is starting to understand who he is going to become, and he is asking questions, and I can't imagine. I could see Isaiah 53 is being taught. That, that, that there is going to be a sacrifice. I, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like because at Passover, that night, they would have taken the lamb and they would have cut the lamb's throat and bled the lamb. His blood would have been spilled and then they would have taken that lamb back home that night and cooked it and ate it. And the young boy would have the opportunity to say to his father, why is this night different than all of the other nights? And then the father would give the story of the Passover. I can't imagine what must have been going through Jesus' mind as he sees this lamb's blood being spilled. Maybe it's at that time that he realizes, I'm going to be the lamb that's going to spill blood. Maybe as he hears the Passover story, you remember the Passover story in the, in the Exodus where the blood was on the thresholds and that anyone that had the blood and you passed under the blood, you lived? Maybe it was at that time that he starts to hear the story again and it's like, this is me. This is what I'm going to do. And he was just eating it up. Am I going back to Nazareth? No, I need to be here hearing God's word Do you put yourself under God's word? God's word is authoritative just by its title. What is it called? It's called the word of who? It's called the word of God. It gives it its authority. The 66 books that we have are the only revelation that God has given us about himself. It's the ultimate authority for your life. It's the only rule for faith and conduct. You need to be reading it. You need to be studying it. You need to be meditating on it. Jesus Christ was eating up this word. He loved it because he was having a direct encounter with his father as he was spending time in the word. It's exactly the same for us. The word of God was not only 
authoritative, but it was inspired by God. It was breathed out by God through these human authors. God is speaking to you through this book as you spend time in it. God's word is inerrant. It is true in its, all its parts. It is infallible. It is flawless. It does not make a mistake. And when rightly interpreted, it gives you the direction for your life. God has given us not only his inerrant word, not only his inspired word, but his word is sufficient. The Bible's all that we need. It is God's breathed out revelation to you. And the sad reality is this. I took a poll of my clients a couple of years ago. My average client who's been a believer for 10 years, has never read the whole Bible cover to cover. You know what even shocked me even more? The average person that I was working with had not even read one book of the Bible of the 66. And the reason for that, I believe, is that a number of churches tend to be topical, and they jump around. They don't work you through books. This is God's sufficient, everlasting, authoritative, life-giving word. I can't tell you enough that Jesus Christ ate it up. We should be doing the same. So Jesus Christ was found in the way Jesus Christ was found following and with the people of God. Jesus Christ was found in the worship of God. Jesus Christ was found in the word of God. And the fifth thing I find is that Jesus Christ was found submitting to the will of God. His parents couldn't make sense of it. And Jesus Christ said, I had to be in my father's house. Some say that was a swipe at Joseph. I don't believe it was at all. It was saying, Joseph, you've been my guardian father. I so appreciate all that you've done, but my true father is in heaven. And I am following his way. I am with his people. I am in his home. I am hearing his word. And it says Mary started to ponder this in her heart. The only reason we have this is that Luke spoke to Mary. That's, that's the assumption. Why this story out of all the stories? Because Mary treasured it up in her heart and said there was something special about this momentous time. Of all the things that he'd done in his 30 years before, the, before he went into ministry, this was specific. Why? He was in God's home. He was hearing God's word. and He was following God's will. And afterwards, what Jesus did was amazing. Now, I would have thought that Jesus would have said, I'm staying in Jerusalem. But he didn't. For now, the next 18 years, from verse 52 to chapter 3, there's going to be 18 years. Jesus is 12. He will not go on to the ministry stage until he's 30 years old. And for the next 18 years, he submits himself to his parents. Why? Why? Because I believe that he is 
following the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are that I love God with all my heart and I love others. And the Ten Commandments start with the very second, uh, the second tablet is honor your father and mother. And God had sovereignly put Jesus Christ, the human boy, in the hands of Mary and Joseph. He followed them. He submitted to them. He reverenced them. He obeyed them. And he even cared for them. Remember when Christ was hanging on a cross, he says, John, here's my mom. Mom, here's your son. He's even caring for Mary on his dying death. Submission for some of us is so hard. We don't like to submit. But I need you to realize that Jesus Christ did not come here to be served, but to do what? To serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. He submitted himself to the Father's will. He even submitted himself to us. He serves you today through the preached word. He serves you today through the communion. He serves you today through the worship. He serves you even today. What an amazing God we have. So I ask you to uh, consider this as we bring this home. Where do you find your rest? What satisfies you? We live in such a discontented world. All the expectations that we have, and we get so disappointed, right? The discontentment leads to restlessness. The restlessness leads to boredom. You could even be bored in the church of God. And if you are, my friends, I'm telling you, you need to go vertical and figure out what's going wrong. What's the cure to my boredom? What's the cure to my restlessness? What's the cure to my discontent? It's Christ. And Christ showed us. It's being in the way. It's also following with the people of God. It's being in the house of God. It's being under the word of God. And it's submitting to the authority of God in your life. So I pray this year that you would make a commitment to church attending community building, Bible learning, life. Will that be you? Will you be here in this building, not just a building, but among God's people, church attending? Will you be looking to build communities? We're going to give you opportunities to be in community this year. Will you take those opportunities to learn and grow and pray with one another? Community building. And will you be willing this year to put yourself under the word of God so that he can teach you and grow you? And then use that to love and serve others. We learn a lot of lessons from a 12-year-old, don't we? Would you pray with me? Father, this 12-year-old, <laughs> oh, he was something special. He still is. That same 12-year-old that was in the temple confounding the religious leaders of that time, the learned leaders, this 12-year-old is confounding them with his questions. Father, he had some piercing questions. I pray for, I pray for the parents in this room. Father, when, when our children ask those piercing questions, do we just push them aside I don't have time for that. Maybe we push them aside because we don't know the answers ourselves, Father. Oh, Lord, if we are parents and we don't know the answers, help us to go deep into the word to try to find those answers. Help us not to squash 
the questionings of our children about God. Father, maybe we're adults and we have questions ourselves. Lord, I pray that this year would be a year that we would be so invested in walking in your way and being with your people and being in the place of worship and being under your word and submitting ourselves to your will. Lord, I pray that you would teach us and grow us and transform us. And Lord, for those that don't know you, don't know that this young boy came to be a savior. As the Passover lamb was slain, Lord, it pointed to the fact that he is the ultimate Passover lamb. Lord, if there's anyone here who has never trusted in your son, I pray today would be the day that they would, they would trust in him. That, Father, we don't have to do sacrifices any longer because the one sacrifice has already been done. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. So we praise you, Lord. We thank you. We honor you. We value you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.